So for the next three weeks, we're in the book of Deuteronomy, and I think I've sent out the schedule, the reading schedule. Did I do that? I think I did it for Numbers and Deuteronomy at the same time. Um, you know, if don't, don't ever feel stuck in the reading schedule. Like, if you want to read more, if you want to read the whole book every week, that's great, you know. Um, the, the reading schedule is just sort of to break it up in chunks so we have something specific to aim for. Um, but we're, we're going to try to get through it in three weeks. There are roughly three sections to this book. I'll, I'm going to go through the outline here in a second. But um, first thing I want to say about the book of Deuteronomy is that it's, it's at the same time an epilogue and a prologue. Okay? Uh, it's an epilogue to the books of Moses, the five books of Moses. It wraps up the story that started really in Genesis, uh, Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham and the founding of the Israelite nation and all the story with, with the exodus in Egypt and calling them out and then all the journeys in the wilderness. And Moses is probably the primary character in all of that. And his life is coming to an end. And so it's an epilogue, a, a, a closing to uh, that story. At the same time, it's a prologue to the rest of the history of Israel, okay? And what's coming, the history of Israel in their land, all right? So they're coming up to the border of their land. And uh, the history from Joshua all the way through 2 Kings, which is what we're going to get into next year in our trip through the Bible, is sometimes even called the Deuteronomic history, okay? And that's because... It's very much written from the perspective of Deuteronomy. There are, there are many uh, predictions and uh, you could call them prophecies that Moses gives and that the Lord gives of when they go into the land, these are the things that are going to happen. When you go in there, here's what you're going to face. And the story after Deuteronomy is the story of them facing those things in the land. And many times you can trace uh, certain situations back to a passage in Deuteronomy where God was saying, and here's another thing that's going to happen. Here's another thing that's going to happen when you get into the land. So it draws on the uh, the Deuteronomic history. Joshua through Judges draws on the key themes and content of Deuteronomy. And so it's really important to get this stuff inside of us um, as we go through the history. We'll be able to make sense of the way the story is told from here on out. The other thing about Deuteronomy, by way of introduction, is that uh, it's Moses' final sermons. It's his final teachings, his last words to the people of Israel that he has walked with for so long. A bit of a rocky relationship at points. (laughs) Um, But it's it's like his second Timothy, right? Paul, at the end of his life, very, very near to the end of his life, wrote second Timothy to his, his primary guy, his true son in the faith. And somebody's, somebody's last words are always told with an added depth, right? If you know that the end is near, you're going to really weigh your words carefully. And um, you're going to want to leave people with the real important things, okay? And that's what the book of Second Timothy does. That's what the book of Deuteronomy does for Moses. Um, it's a book about succession. It's a book about the next generation. It's a book about crossing into the promised land. And 
That is a major theme all through the story of the people of God. God chose Abraham. One of the reasons why he says, because I know he will command his children after him. Remember that in in Genesis? Um, All the way through the Old Testament, we see this, uh, this, this, you could say one of the primary themes is the relationship between one generation and the next generation. Okay, And I would argue that this is, this is what Jesus came to show us, the relationship between the Father and the Son, right? The last chapter of, uh, the last verse of the, the last verse of the Old Testament talks about the hearts of the fathers being turned to the hearts of the sons. This is a major, a major theme in all of Scripture. Uh, the relationship between previous generation and next generation. And you could argue that that, that that is rooted in the very nature and character of God. He is father and son. And that's a generational difference. Um, so the big, if you want to sum up, or a major refrain in the history of Israel is love God with all your heart and pass that on to the next generation. Love God with all your heart and, and, and see your children, see that your children love God with all of their heart. Um, and if any book exemplifies that, it's the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Moses is passing on. There's so many different ways that you see succession happening and, and transition and change happening in this book. You could, see, you could call it a hinge. It's a hinge that, that, that the whole history of Israel turns on. Um, another point of introduction, there's... Well, you could do this with a lot of different words, but I think three particular words that I would like us to, to meditate on as we continue our trip through Deuteronomy. And they're words that occur at a much higher rate in Deuteronomy than in the other books of the Old Testament. Um, so we need to pay attention to these words. And, and the first one is heart. The word heart. Um, it, if you look at like the times that word occurs in the Old Testament. You see a few times in Genesis, a few times in Exodus, a few times in Leviticus, and then it just spikes in the book of Deuteronomy. And we have to pay attention to that, right? Word, word count, it can often just be a statistics game, but when it's like that, you need to pay attention. When you see repetition, that means something. So this book, you could say, is... I forget where I first heard this, um, but I thought it was a great summary of Deuteronomy. It's about getting to the heart of the law and getting the law in your heart. Getting to the heart of the law and getting the law in your heart. It's in Deuteronomy that we see the idea of the circumcision of the heart first mentioned. This sign of the people of God, this physical sign of the covenant... God points to the fact that it's really not about the physical sign of the covenant as much as it is about a, a, a process that needs to happen within our hearts in order for us to become part of the people of God. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. Um, we have to love God with all of our heart. Okay? And so the word heart becomes very important. And I would encourage you to, I don't know how much you mark in your Bible, but just to kind of make a little mark or a, a check next to it or underline it or circle it, whatever you do, highlight it, um, because it's that important. Another word that's very important, this occurs 
73 times in this book is the word keep. Keep. And it's a great word. Um, It means, it's the same word that's used in Proverbs 4.23 where it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. All right? Um, God, it says he blessed man. He placed him in the garden to keep it. That's the word. To maintain it, to care for it, to protect it. Keep it. Be careful. Watch. Guard. Um, with, all, uh, with all diligence. So, over and over you hear Moses pleading with the people of God to keep the law. That means do it, but also preserve it, guard it, maintain it. Okay? Um, they were, there's even instructions on, like, the physical, uh, the physical object of the law. There's even uh, instructions about that. Make it a plaster and write it on here and, and make a copy of it and give it to the king and keep it, guard it, preserve it, maintain it. And then the third word I, I want to point out is the first word, and it's actually the word Shema. That's what we, it, it's, it's here. Listen. And it's a, it's a rich word. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a whole range of meanings around this word. Um, the first use in the Old Testament is when Adam and Eve hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Adam is cursed for listening to his wife Eve. He says, because you listen to your, the voice of your wife. And so it doesn't just mean here auditorily, you know, the, the sound wave vibrations in your eardrum. It doesn't just mean that process. It's, it's a taking into yourself and a doing of that thing. It's a, it implies a, an action. Um, it's the same word where it says in the, in the Tower of Babel, it says the Lord went down and con- confused their language so they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't understand each other. So there's this idea of it means listen, get, direct your attention to, understand, and, and do. Right? That's, all, that's all involved in this word, hear. Hear, O Israel. So, receiving, attention, and then action. That one occurs uh, 93 times in this book. Hear, listen, hear, hear, hear. Okay, um, so I want to give an outline. Outlines help me always know kind of where I am in a book. Um, here's the broad outline. You could, you could say it's, it's three big sermons. There's three sections. Uh, chapters one through four are um, really directed toward the past. It's a recounting of the journey. Here's where we are so far. Here's where we've come to at this point. Chapters 5 through 28 are a retelling of the law. Okay, but it's a different retelling of the law. The, word, the book Deuteronomy, the, the, the reason it's called that, is that means it's, it's from the Latin for, or maybe it's the Greek title, second law. 
It's a second law. It's not a different law, but it's a re-giving of the law, a retelling of the law. And that middle section is the, the bulk of the book. Moses is going back through the law. And um, it's not just a simple retelling. Very often there are added, added explanations or commentary on the laws that God had already given. Okay. Um, within that section, chapters 4 through 11 are an opening exhortation to keep the law. So in chapters 4 through 11, he mentions the Ten Commandments, and it's where the Shema is given. And, um, and then it's, a, it's really, it's more of an exhortation than a retelling of the law. And then the retelling of the law proper starts in chapter 12 and goes through um, chapter 28. And then the last section of the book are about the oath, the, the covenant renewal, and the blessings and curses um, that would close out a covenant ceremony. Um, and it's really an appeal to the heart of the message. And this is where the song of Moses and the blessing of Moses, which, which echoes um, in Genesis the, the blessing that Jacob gives for each of the 12 tribes. Moses kind of has his own take on that and, and blesses each of the tribes of Israel. Um, and he really calls the song a witness against you. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's not a really happy song or a sentimental song. It's a prophetic song. Okay? It's a song that was to really proclaim truth to them. All right. So that's the introductory and sort of outline stuff. Um, so Deuteronomy is about getting to the heart of the law and getting the law in your heart. And I would say that the heart of this book you can find in two places. One is in, in chapter 6, is the Shema, boiling it down to what is the greatest commandment and the list of the Ten Commandments. And you could say that this whole book is a commentary on those two things. The Ten Commandments, the Shema is really a, a, common, a, a commentary on the first commandment, okay, how you are to observe the first commandment. Um, so really, the essence of this book all revolves around loving God. Here's how you love God. And it's for good reason that at, at the point when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, some of them knew that that was the greatest commandment. He said, you've said, you've answered correctly. That is the greatest commandment. Jesus himself said that Deuteronomy 6, the truth found in there, is the greatest commandment. It's, it's the commandment around which all other laws should revolve. And, and, and expound on. So we can say that the heart of the law, and you don't even need the New Testament to come around to say this, but within the Old Testament itself, within Deuteronomy itself, it's very safe to say that the heart of the law is love. Here in the Old Testament, this is the truth that was, that was here. And this is the truth that Jesus, it wasn't new when Jesus said it. He was confirming what the truth was about the Old Testament. Um, So let's read. Let's go to chapter 6. Actually, before we do that, let me say a couple things about the opening chapters. uh, Chapters 1 through 4. Numbers 33 contains what? A retelling of the journey. And exhortations for going into the land. 
That's at the end of Numbers. Deuteronomy begins with what? A retelling of the journey and exhortations for entering the land. This is important. Moses' final sermon. What's the first thing he says? Let's look back. Let's remember. Let's recap the story to this point. Because going forward is impossible without knowing what has, happened, what has gone before. Okay? Moving ahead is, is impossible. Possessing the land is impossible without remembering that this is the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That this is the one who promised Abraham a land. All right? So always, when we're at a crossroads, and you see this many times in the people of God, when we're at a crossroads, when there is a new step to take, where God often sends his people is back. <laughs> to remember. To take a step forward, many times all you need to do is remember who God is and what he's done. And that's very important. Okay? The story keeps getting recapped and recapped. All right, why do we keep going back through the story? Because God thinks it's very important that his people have deep within them the story of how he saved them, of how he worked with them in the wilderness, of their stubbornness and of his faithfulness in spite of their stubbornness. Um, Chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among them all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this Great nation is a wise and understanding people. I love this part. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things, what things, that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. You have to remember the story. God doesn't, God doesn't do things that aren't important. <laughs> God doesn't act in history in a way that does not reveal to people who he is. And so, one of the biggest things that we need to know, and this is the reason why, why knowing Scripture is so important, why knowing the Old Testament is so important. Because God has chosen to reveal himself by stepping down into history and relating with his people. 
And every time he does that, he reveals something about himself. And that's how he works. He does not stand up there and shout down, All right, okay, I am like this. I am omnipotent. I am also a creator. I am also loving. So believe that and you will be saved. That's not what he does. What does he do? He says, well, he doesn't do, he, he, he doesn't say, he does. And then he says, the things that he says are, refer back to what he has done. And his laws come out of the things that he has done. Does this make sense? So God does not say, I am creator. That's one of my attributes. What does he do? He creates. And then he places man in the midst of creation. He says, look at this. I want to, I want to do this. I have, my hand has made all these things. He does not say, I am Savior. Believe that about me. And you will be called my people. What does he do? He goes down and he strikes Pharaoh and he delivers his people from bondage. And says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. He doesn't say, I am loving and forgiving. He sticks with his people. Well, he does say that. But then, he get, then over and over, his people, he says, your eyes have seen who I am. Don't forget. And he doesn't say, don't forget the teaching about me, the, my attributes. He says, don't forget the things your eyes have seen. Okay, so what, how God acts in our lives, in the lives of his people, are very important. And whenever we are taking steps forward, it's easy to, to want to like just leave the past in the past. Sometimes we're a little bit ashamed of the past. But the past is very, very important to what God wants to do in your future. Very important. And you can't, if you keep getting hung up on, man, recap after recap, well, maybe you should listen a little more carefully to the recap. God likes to remind a lot. Because he wants us to remember a lot. So even right there, I think that's something that, that some of us need to hear. Uh, maybe, maybe all we need to do, coming out of our time in Deuteronomy, and heading into this time of seeking God in, in the fast, and heading into the new year, maybe God's calling us to remember. Maybe there's lessons that he has taught us. And maybe, the, yeah, that we, that we don't even realize yet. Because we never took time to reflect on what this situation meant. What this act of God in my life meant. What is he trying to teach me? He's always trying to reveal himself to you by the way that he acts. And, and so it's important not just for the people of God here, but for us as we grow and as we mature into the things that God wants us to do, that we always remember who he is and what he's done. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. So not just remembering for ourselves, but making sure our kids know the things of God, the things that he's done. Uh, Verse 25 of chapter 4. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Um, the idolatry, there's going to be idolatry. You're going to be tempted to, to be idolatrous. But, uh, verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. He's saying all these things right after he says, all right, let's, let's catch up the story. Let's recap the story up till now. When you go into the land and you're going to be rebellious because look, this whole time you've been rebellious and you're going to be tempted to idolatry because look, this whole time you've been tempted to idolatry. But still, when you seek God with all of your heart, every time, every time you, you decide to seek God with all your heart, I'm right here and I will hear you and you will turn to me and you will return and, and, and I will forgive you. I will not leave you. How do they know that? Because he never has. Even in their rebellion, even when they were sentenced to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, he never left them. <clears throat> so he introduces, he, uh, in, in, at the end of chapter 4, in verse 44, he says, This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules. And then in chapter 5 begins with the Ten Commandments. So his retelling of the law begins with the Ten Commandments. But really this section up till chapter 11 is a, is a you could call it an a, a, a exhortational introduction to the law. And he begins with the Ten Commandments. And then he says, um, he immediately begins in chapter 6, after speaking the Ten Commandments and kind of explaining uh, explaining how those came to be on the mountain. And he says, this is, you saw these on the mountain, and uh, this is everything that happened. Uh, the end of chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a mind um, as this always. Because you remember in Exodus, right after he spoke all these things, the people said, yes, we will do this. Okay? And he says, oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. God says, I love, I love in the moment when you get excited about this, but oh, that they would, that they had such a mind as this always. And this is what God is longing for, for a people that have a mind like that always. That in that moment where you see it and it's good, and yes, this is life, this is what I'm supposed to do. I want to do it. And they weren't able to do that. Um, and they weren't going to be able to do that until the, Jesus came down and, and showed us really how to do that. Um, I like the last verse of chapter 5. And I was reading this a while back, and I realized how we think of the law all wrong. We think of the law as like, all right, well, God had to set it up just so that people could see how insufficient they are and uh, how incapable they were. And so that when Jesus came, they could say, all right, well, we could never earn our way to salvation. We have to just believe in Jesus. 
Look at what he says. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord God has commanded you. And it's completely centered on their well-being and flourishing. It's not a bar that God is setting up for them. It's the path of life that he's directing them to walk in. So he says this. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. <laughs> the point of the law was the people. It was God's act of love for the people. I love you so much that I'm bearing with you and I'm revealing to you the things that will cause you to flourish. That was the heart of, that was God's heart in delivering the law. He wasn't trying to set up an unreachable standard as some sort of bait and switch. Haha, <laughs> see, I knew you couldn't do it. You're going to have to believe in Jesus when he comes. But that's the picture that we have sometimes of the law. Do you know this? Do you know this picture of the law that we get? It's why some people, even now, I mean, even prominent evangelical teachers, they, they sort of look down on the Old Testament. Well, I don't see anything that is, is like that in, in the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. Right? For when, when the New Testament authors really want to make a point about what God's really after, they go to Deuteronomy. It's a book about what God's really after. Now, this is the commandment, this is chapter 6. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. He's always coming back to that. You and everyone coming after you. By keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Your days may be long. <laughs> this is for you. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then this is the Shema. And uh, this is saw a prayer that... Jews knew like the back of their hand. Israelites would say in the morning and the evening, and, and every, every Israelite knew this intimately. Okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, I don't want to take anything away from what Matt might say next week about the Shema. But I think it's important for us to, to understand what, what that's talking about. Love the Lord your God. First of all, love. Love needs a little bit of explanation. Um, and most of you know this already. But love is, is an act of the will. Love is... Um, Chad defined it once, and it was really good. A commitment to a person that generates a corresponding action. So it's a commitment that is followed through with action. Okay, and both of those come from the heart. Now, it involves emotions, I guess, at times, but it's not primarily an emotional thing. There's, that's a real thing, right? The emotions that we feel, affection, um, attraction, those are all legitimate human things. But when the Bible says, love the Lord your God, 
It doesn't mean kind of get attracted and, and enamored. It means see who he is, see what he wants, see what he desires, and commit to do that and follow through with action. Okay? The amount that you love someone is not judged by what you feel inside of yourself. The amount that you love someone, biblically, is judged by what you do in the flesh. <laughs> what you actually do. And the New Testament comes back to this over and over. It's not enough to say to your brother in First John, it's not enough to say to your brother, go, be filled and warm. If you're not willing to give him food and shelter. <laughs> if you just desire his well-being, that's not love. Love means committing oneself to help someone else achieve their desire and their well-being at whatever cost to yourself. That's what real love is. So, God is calling his people to love him. This is what he desires. This is why we are humans and not animals. Because animals cannot make this commitment to, to God. And God looks down and he does not... He does not judge us by our intentions. He judges us by our actions. All right. He wants a commitment to himself in response to his grace. Okay, and it's always, God always causes, he always sets the law um, as, a, as a means by which his people can respond to his grace, his gracious acts. I brought you out of Egypt, so live like this. And it's always God's initiative and man's response to that gracious initiative. <clears throat> so, love God with all your heart. And your heart is really, in, in the Old Testament, it's the center of your being. It's the seat of your will and intentions and actions. When you set your heart on something, it means that you've set yourself in that direction. You could almost call it the, the, mom, the momentum of your being, if you are more engineering type. Momentum is just the direction it heads. There's a heart that's inclined in one way, or a heart that's inclined. Incline my heart, the psalmist says. Incline my heart to fear your name. Okay, it's, it's this image of the ball's rolling down the inclined plane. I'm headed in this direction. That's where your heart gets. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's where you're going to be going. That's the momentum of, your, of yourself. Your soul, so you're to love the Lord your God with, with that. Direct that towards God. Let your being, let your, the center of your being, your will, gravitate towards God, incline towards God. Your soul, it really just means breath or, or a living, a breathing thing. Uh, but it's, our English word soul is, it, the Greek word is, is suke, or the, the, your psyche, psychology is where we get that. But that's your, you could, I think a good word for it is yourself, your uniqueness, your, your personhood, your identity. Right? There's only one you. And the thing that makes you you and not like any other human is your soul. Your soul is unique. It's everything that makes you, you. So you're to love God with 
everything that makes you you, and your strength, your might. Um, And it doesn't just mean like, with your strength, love God. It means like, strongly love God. Not weakly, not timidly, not tepidly, but love the Lord your God with strength. Right? Go into battle with strength. Don't go half-heartedly. Go love the Lord with strength. And then it says, All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets, between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see this beginning from the the heart and radiating outward. Begins with you. You love the Lord your God. And you write these commandments, you meditate on these commandments and then teach them to your kids in your house and out into the public square. Everywhere that you go, this should be what radiates around you. Every sphere of society. And this is also not just for priests, right? Not just for godly people. It's for every person. This is what God's calling every person to. Um, so that is, that's the heart of Deuteronomy. That's what everything hangs on here. And so all the laws that come after, and, and Moses' commentary in the law, are basically explanations on how you can physically love God. How you can commit yourself to God in a way that, that corresponds to an action. Primarily, that action is the love of others. That's one of the primary ways you love God, is by considering other people and loving them. Okay. A um, couple, couple things to note as, as we keep going through. Three things, three key things that Moses seems intent on passing on to the people. If we're reading this as Moses' final words, what are the things that really seem important to, to Moses distinctly now at this moment in his life? Um, one of those things is remaining faithful to God, totally faithful to God in the midst of a encroaching culture. In the midst of, of idolatrous, uh, the fancy word for it is syncretism. The temptation to worship God and these idols and kind of assimilate the culture around us. Let it get in us and permeate and worship God in a way that looks like the way that the nations worship their God. This is one thing that, God, that, that Moses is saying, you cannot lose the uniqueness of our worship. And so all the laws about um, where they are to worship and how they are to worship, which really begin the, the section on the law, those are all very important because they're going into a place where there's lots of different ways to worship and those ways do not glorify God and those ways bring destruction in the earth. You saw how easy it was for them to get drawn away into idolatry and whoredom uh, on the plains of Moab. So Moses is saying, we cannot have that happen. 
And he's not just saying, go in there and don't do it. He's saying, he's giving them constructive advice. When you go in there, set up the temple like this, worship God like this, do this sacrifice, this sacrifice. So it's not just, you can't just march into a land and say, I'm not going to be idolatrous. I'm not going to look at temptation. You have to, I was reading this week about uh, this guy talking about distraction. Everyone's worried about being distracted now. There's so many things that distract us uh, in, our, in our culture. And he's saying, the problem with that is we try and come at these distractions and just try and shut out distractions. He said, but you can't, you can't even begin to live a distraction-free life if you don't really know what you're being distracted from. The, 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 the key question is not how do we eliminate distractions. The key question is what are we getting distracted from? What is it that we hope to achieve? And that's a, that, that's a harder question to answer. Oh, I'm just Social media is hijacking my brain. I've, it's, my phone is, it's, I'm so distracted. From what? And then focus on that. And then you can see what's, a really, what's really a distraction. Does that make sense? So Moses is giving them this is what you need to do. And so you will know the difference between the way everyone else does it and the way I've called you to do it. Chapter 12, uh, verse 4, it says, you shall, uh, verse 3, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So he's not just talking about worshiping other gods. He's talking about worshiping God in that way. Make sense? We don't worship other gods. We worship Jesus. Do we worship Jesus in a worldly way? That's a tougher question to answer. It's not necessarily about the church you find yourself in. It's does this, does this church really worship God in a way that pleases God? Um, you can find many idols named Jesus. Many people who have idols and the name of their idol is actually Jesus. Does it make sense? It's not a real relationship with God. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. You don't just pick when and where you want to worship. You wait on God, you hear from him, and you respond to what he says. So faithfulness to God in the midst of idolatry, in the midst of encroaching culture. Now, do we need that these days? I mean, there's all these... uh, there's all these books coming out about how do we, how do we be the church in, this, in these times? What do we do? Should we just totally pull out and divorce any uh, relationship with culture? Or should we try and reach out to culture and try and look like it a little bit? Or well, how do we do this? Deuteronomy has some things to tell us. And the point was not the people's distinctness. The point is that once the people lose their distinctness, then God loses his witness in the earth. It wasn't just about having this group of people who were elite and specially chosen and holier than everyone else. It was so that all of those nations that were being eaten alive by their idolatry 
would see who God really is and be able to turn and be blessed because of the nation of Israel. But when the people of God lose their distinctness, when they stop worshiping God in the way that he has designed, then the world loses its light. And the nations don't know who really is God. Another thing that that, um, Moses is intent on passing on is the uniqueness of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Another way of saying that is the Lord our God, only the Lord, only him. The Lord alone is God. There were lots of gods. There were lots of Elohim in the land. Baal, Peor, uh, he was just the God of Peor. Right? There's, there were regional gods. There were fertility gods and goddesses and, and all this stuff that was tied to, to natural things. There were sun gods and moon gods. And he says, you're going to, the nation's good. They, they turn toward creation and worship creation. Your God doesn't have a likeness. You can't engrave God and then worship that engraving. He stands outside of that. He created everything. And so, Worshiping anything that looks like a created thing is really to make God lower than he really is. So the uniqueness of God as creator and the uniqueness of God in his covenant faithfulness to Israel. What other nation has a God like this? It says. What other nation? We are to be a people. This is still the call of God on our lives. We are to be a people that people look at and say, What other nation is like this? What other nation has a God like this? There's no one else. And I would still say that this is true. This is what the thing that separates Christianity from all other religions isn't necessarily uh, its theology. What it is is this, the person of Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's it. There's monotheistic religions. There's Islam, Judaism, Christianity. What separates them and what leaves Christianity all by itself is who do you say Jesus is? It's still like that. And this is what the message of Deuteronomy was. That this is a nation who has one God and whose God has a name. And it's the God of all gods. And that's still our message. Number three, and I've already talked this a little, about this a little bit, is that, and we see this come out in Deuteronomy even more and more clearly than, than even before, but it's the idea that Israel is to be a model for the nations, is to be a pattern for the way to be a nation. And there's a call of God beyond the people of God just going in and having their land. That was the beginning of the blessing. They were to go in and have their land and, and live life the way that God wanted them to live. Why? So that the whole earth would be blessed. So that all people would look on Israel and say, wow, there's life. There is love. There's the God that we want to serve. That's, they're doing it right. What nation is like us? Um, 
All right. So this gets to, I mean, we can obviously see the parallels between those things that were on Moses' heart and our identity as a church, our calling as a church. Um, We're in the Sermon on the Mount uh, at UCF. And the whole point of that is Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said, but you heard it wrong. (laughs) You 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 heard words, but you didn't hear with understanding and with obedience. You heard do not murder, and so you prided yourself on not murdering. But you didn't hear in do not murder what Moses wanted you to hear, which was active interest in the flourishing of another. Right? Do not murder is the absolute border <laughs> of, of, of relationship. All right, that's a hard line. But that's not God's ultimate vision for human society. Non-murderers. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that can happen in a society of non-murderers. What is he after? A society of lovers of each other, of justice, of those who are just as concerned for your rights as my own rights. And that's what do not murder is really getting at. A society of non-adulterers. Well, there's still a lot of sexual sin that can happen in a society of non-adulterers. Right? That's not what God's after. All right? Um, So this is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, if you wanted to hear, you could have heard all this back then. You've heard that it was said, but you didn't hear it right. Let your light shine before others, he says, after all this. So they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what... This is what This is what the people of God were to be, to let their light shine by doing the things that God was calling them to do so that others would see their good deeds, not see their good intentions, not see their their fuzzy feelings for God, but to see their good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So all of these things are pointed toward Becoming a nation where people can see who God is and desire to turn and serve this God only. The New Testament is full of this. Uh, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, it says, that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Uh, Philippians 2.15, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why? Why? Because God doesn't like grumblers or complainers? No. I mean, that's true. So that you would shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. John 13, 35. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. There's a commandment of God that, yes, is intended to, to achieve something, but is for being seen by others. Okay? And here's the ultimate point. And this is something you see all through Deuteronomy. Um, God really wants the other nations to know who he is. But he doesn't just go out and show them who he is. He could. How does he want them to see who he is? by the way his people relate to him and live their lives in obedience to him. 
God wants the world to, God wants your neighbor to know who he is. And how's God going to do that? You're going to obey God, obey the commands of God, and love that neighbor in a way that shows them who God is. God deserves all the glory. He deserves every knee, every tongue confess that he is Lord. But God's totally patient for us while we get our act together and begin to live like we're children of the God that he really is. Make sense? God deserves so much glory. But he has decided to wait until we become conformed into his image to receive his glory among men. Understand that? God has staked his reputation on what we do in response to his law. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty sobering. God's glory in the earth depends on the actions of his people. So, loving God is the heart of Deuteronomy. Loving God is all about your heart. It's about your heart. It's not about intentions. It's not about feelings. It's about your heart that sees and hears who he is and responds with action. It takes work to keep it. Okay? It takes work to love God. We have to stay on our toes to love God. We have to actively, just like we were set here to keep the earth, it means maintaining and working and cultivating and and tilling and staying on top of things. That's what it requires to love God, to keep his commandments, to keep our hearts, to keep ourselves in his will. Vigilance. And it requires absolute and constant Attention. Here. We need to attend to these things. Be convinced of them. Repeat, bring ourselves back to them. Remember constantly. So, I think for the next two weeks, I want to call us to see how God would adjust things in us. Do we, do we need to... Where do we need to grow? Do we need to grow in an understanding of what it means to truly love God with, from the heart and hear the heart of what he's trying to say? Do we need to understand what it means to keep his law and to keep his statutes? And by that, I mean the, the work and the diligence and the vigilance that's required to guard ourselves. Um, God placed an angel at, the, at Eden keep it, right? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty strong word. Do we have that kind of zeal and, and protectiveness of our heart and of our obedience to God? In other words, do you, do you examine your life? Do you examine your actions? Do you open your actions up to the input of others? Say, help me keep my, my actions. Help me keep my behavior. Am I keeping the law of God? by the way that I live? And do I actually hear God? Am I hearing him right? 
in all those different aspects. Giving attention and blocking out distraction. Understanding. Hearing what's really said in a do not murder, do not commit adultery. Hearing that for what's on the heart of God behind that. And hearing it in terms of then bringing it into action. Hearing and doing. That's what this book is all about. God's saying, you are at the point now where you're going in to possess the land. And everything's going to come crumbling down if you don't understand the nature of the heart. The, and if you don't keep the commandments. And if you don't really hear what I'm saying. So, the heart, keeping, and hearing. Um, I'd like us to kind of meditate on it. And it's a great way to, to prepare ourselves to head into the fast. Because what's a fast about? It's really opening ourselves up to let God speak to our hearts, to hear what he's really saying, and to keep doing what he's called us to do, and keep ourselves pure and spotless as the people of God. Amen? So I really think this is a great book uh, to meditate on as we transition into what's coming next in all of our lives, what this next year holds, this next season of our lives. Let's remember and let's let God examine our hearts and get us to the place where we are really uh, hearing him and we have a vision for where we're headed and the way he wants us to to possess the land that he's called us to possess. Amen? Let's pray.